Well, happy Father's Day, my fellow fathers. We trust that this will be a day when your family uh, can express uh, a recognition of what you do to serve Christ and them, and that you'll enjoy whatever uh, that might be. I had one sister in Christ send me a Facebook message this morning, so pastor, put up your feet and just snap your fingers. I don't know. (laughs) Didn't seem quite right, but I know the sentiment was right. Well, this might make you smile. You know, dads have a lot of parenting situations they don't expect. This one fellow, a little boy in third grade, came home with his report card and said to his daddy, look. The daddy looked and there was four D's and three F's. And before the father could say anything, the kid looked at his dad and said, what did we chalk it up to, dad? (laughs) Environment or heredity? And then you never know what's going to happen at church. Sometimes there are fathers on any given Sunday or here for the very first time. You know, people have never brought their families to any church. There was a dad who was in that situation. He sat in the second pew in the center because all the other pews were full when he got there a little late. His whole family was in the second pew, and they, were, they didn't know anything. So whatever they saw was brand new, and they had so many questions. The father would ask so many questions, and the father would say, What's that? Well, that's the communion table. And what are those guys doing? They're greeting people and bring, giving them bulletins. What's a bulletin? A bulletin that tells the church what's going on the following week and so forth and so on. And so when it came for the offering, the family's all looking around and seeing the bag being passed pew to pew. And it gets to their pew and the kid on the end says, Dad, don't pay for me. I'm under 12. <laughs> and then as the service went on, The pastor got into the pulpit just like I am right now, opened his Bible, set it on the pulpit, took off his watch, and put it right here. And the visitor said, what does that mean? And the regular attender said, not a thing. (laughs) So here we go. Fathers and the Armor is the title of our Father's Day message this morning. I want you to think with me, if God created marriage and family, and if God intends for marriage to be the only object lesson left on earth to illustrate Christ's love for the church, and if God means for families to set the tone for societies, and if fathers are to lead their families, setting the proper tone for them, then would it not be strategic for Satan to attack fathers? You see, if fathers fall, so do their families, and so do their countries. The bad news this Father's Day, let's start with it and get that out of the way. The bad news is that Every father, every Christian father has a bullseye on his chest. Satan put it there. A target. And every born-again father has that bullseye on his chest because Satan is gunning for you and me. Do you hear the bullets flying by your ears every day? Satan puts this bullseye on the Christian father's chest because Satan wants to disqualify that father, wants to discourage that father, wants to destroy that father. 
He plays for keeps. That's the bad news. The good news, thankfully, is that although Satan's put a bullseye on you, Christian dad, God has armor to protect you. God has armor to protect all believing fathers, in fact, all believers. This sermon is slanted toward fathers, but all the rest of the believers who are here, I want you to listen in, because there'll be benefit, of course, for you as well. Let's give our attention to the principal New Testament passage on the armor of God, which is Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 to 17. Please turn your Bibles or your devices to Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. The main passage on the armor of God. Finally, it says, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When you see here in this passage, when you look at verse 11, you see that Satan has certain schemes. He is organized. He has schemes. When you look at verse 16, you see also that Satan has flaming missiles. He's armed. I was thinking this week about what some of the usual schemes and flaming missiles of Satan are, particularly for fathers. I was reviewing satanic schemes and flaming missiles which are particularly tailored to fathers. And here's what I came up with. It is not an exhaustive list. Irresponsibility, negativity, infidelity, Bigoty, see I'm speaking Bahamian, bigoty, <laughs> passivity, I'm going to call these the itties, <laughs> I-T-Y-S, the itties, irresponsibility, negativity, infidelity, bigoty, and passivity. But you know, another big missile, a flaming missile that Satan shoots at the bullseye on the chest of our hearts, fathers, is selfishness. Now, I tried, I tried a lot. I, I used a thesaurus. I tried to find a word that ended in I-T-Y that meant selfish, but I, I couldn't. I tried. So here's the best I came up with. I know it's pretty weak, but go with me. Meity. Meity. That everything revolves around me. Meity. 
Thank you for that amen, Paul Lowe. I, I appreciate it. It was the only one in the whole congregation. I appreciate that. Guys, in your marriages and in your homes, Satan wants to bring all of these things in. Irresponsibility, negativity, infidelity, bigoty, passivity, and meity. That's what he's trying to do. So we need armor. We need the armor of God. And I want to look at the armor quickly with you to understand what the pieces are, what they mean, and how they are put on. So I'll read verses 10 to 13 again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I hope you noticed as I read that in these verses that we will see the point of the armor is that we would stand. That we would stand against Satan's schemes. That we would stand against Satan's power. That we would stand Do you see it there in verse 11? Do you see it there in verse 13? Do you see it there in verse 14? That you would stand. I like football. Played a little football. Men who like American football, you know that when the offensive team gets in the red zone in the 20-yard line or closer to that, to the goal line, you have to have a goal line stand if they get to the one, two, or three-yard line. You, as a defensive team, have to have a goal line stand. You dig in and you hold your ground so that the running back or the pass cannot penetrate your end zone and have a touchdown scored. And so you dig in and you stand firm. And the defensive coach on the sideline is hollering to the defensive team, Hold your ground. Stand firm. The armor of God is so that we can have a goal line stand against Satan. You will notice, perhaps, that all of the pieces of the armor of God are frontal. They protect the front of a soldier. There are no pieces of armor that cover the back of a soldier. Nothing. That means that God wants none of us to turn and run from Satan. He wants us to stand firm, face-to-face, in the full armor of God. In the victory that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has won by his cross and resurrection, we are to stand in that victory. Now, before we go on from verse 13, will you notice that it is the full armor of God that we are to put on? All of it, not some of it. Only to have some of the armor of God means that we are not fully protected. We need the full armor of God. That's why God gave it to us, because we need every piece. When I used to play hockey in Canada, I was a goalie. You have to be a little nuts to be a goalie, and I qualified. 
I remember in the warm-up, in one game, there's a warm-up before the game starts, and your team is buzzing around one half of the ice, and you're in the goal as the goalie, and they're shooting pucks at you just to get you warmed up and limbered up. And I remember in one of those warm-ups, it occurred to me that I had forgotten my throat protector in the dressing room. I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't say, oh, let's not worry about it. Uh, Drop the puck, let's have the game without a throat protector. I said, ref, excuse me. I left my throat protector in the dressing room. May I have a couple of minutes to go get that piece of equipment? He said, sure. When we rise in the morning, every day, the garden variety, typical vanilla day, every day when we rise in the morning, guys, we have to put on the full armor of God. I'm going to show you how to do that in a minute. And so going on to the first part of verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The first piece of the armor is the girdle of truth. Guys, this is very simple. It means living truthfully each day. When we live truthfully with our wives, truthfully with our children, truthfully with our employer, truthfully with our employees, truthfully with our neighbors... We have the girdle of truth as a piece of the armor in place. And so to the best of our abilities, with the Holy Spirit's help, no lies, no half-truths, no exaggerations, and no broken promises. The girdle of truth, living truthfully. The second piece of the armor is the breast plate of righteousness. See the second part of verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Men, this means living righteously. And if you want to know if you're living righteously, ask yourself, am I living in a Christ-like way? Am I living Christ-like in my words? Am I living Christ-like in my thoughts? Am I living Christ-like in my actions? When We as men, as fathers, as husbands, when we can say with the help of God that we are living righteously and Christ-like, we have on the second piece of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Living righteously. The third piece of the armor are the boots of the gospel. See it there in verse 15, the boots of the gospel. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The third piece of the armor are the boots of the gospel. And brothers and fathers, this means to live evangelistically every day. To live with eternity's values in view. To live with an ongoing sense that every person you meet is either in Christ or outside of Christ. That every person you meet any given day, if nothing changes, will either be going to hell or heaven. To live evangelistically. Each day, to the best of our abilities, guided by the Holy Spirit, being concerned enough about lost people that we actually share the gospel with them. I've told you about a little boy, true story. I think he was under 10 years old, and he was checking out at a Walmart with his mom. And the mom said to the cashier, if you were to die tonight, would you know that you would go to heaven? 
And the cashier, as she's bagging the stuff that's being bought, says, I sure hope so. I'm doing more good than bad. And the little 10-year-old looks up and says, Mommy, tell her about Christ. She ain't going to make it. Living evangelistically. I cannot take anything to heaven with me except my Bible, which will be there ahead of me, and the persons that God gives me a part in leading to Christ. Everything else stays. No bumper hitches on funeral hearses. Everything else in your life you can't take to heaven with you. Except the persons you care enough for, pray enough for, and share the gospel enough with that they trust Jesus to be their savior through your evangelistic living. Jim Elliott was not a blood relative of mine, but many of you know he was one of the missionaries who went to Ecuador to take the gospel of Christ to a remote tribe They dropped gifts on the beach from the airplane to win favor and to gain trust from the tribe's people. And they thought they had earned that. They had won that. They thought they had seen the tribe's people waving to the airplane eventually. And they thought, well, maybe the time is to go down to the beach and to meet them. And the day they landed their seaplane in the water and swam into the beach, all five of them were speared to death. It was Jim Elliott before that martyrdom, who said, God, make me to be a crisis man, a fork in the road, that everyone who meets me is faced with the decision that they must make about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are wearing the boots of the gospel, fathers, when each day we are living evangelistically. And may I just say, if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must trust him before you exit planet Earth. There's no second chance after this life. There's no purgatory. I urge you on Christ's behalf to turn from sin, self, and Satan and repentance and put full, complete trust in Jesus. He's trustworthy. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Be on the way by trusting him as Savior. So, the fourth piece of the armor is the shield of faith. Verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Guys, this means to live dependently, to live prayerfully. To the degree that I pray, to that degree I am dependent on God. To the degree that I refuse to pray, don't bother to pray, to that degree I am acting independent of God. And so the fourth piece of the armor is the shield of faith, which means to live dependently, to live prayerfully each day, to pray about everything, dads, to pray about everything, to pray about the mortgage payment you don't have for the first of the month, but also to pray about the parking space you need at super value. 
The huge things to pray about and the relatively small things to pray about and everything in between the two. If we would have on the fourth piece of the armor of God, the shield of faith, we must live dependently and prayerfully. And it's easy to miss something that is in verse 16. It's easy to read over it too fast. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish some of the flaming missiles of the devil. No, it doesn't say that. You will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. (laughs) This is saying that prayer isn't nice. (laughs) It's saying that prayer is necessary. We'll be starting a three-sermon series on prayer next Lord's Day, if God spares life. And we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at, is prayer to you oxygen or is it oxygen mask? I hope that you'll be a part of those times. And so prayer is how we extinguish all of the flaming missiles or arrows from Satan. And so don't ever say, well, at least I can pray for you. No. At best, you can pray for them. At best. Now, to carry through on the itties, remember the itties? Uh, Satan's flaming arrow shot at dads that I mentioned earlier in the message, the irresponsibility, negativity, infidelity, bigotry, and meity how you address those missiles, how you extinguish those flaming missiles that are so easily put into the bullseye of our hearts is to live with constant attitude of prayer. To pray without ceasing, you know? It sounds funny, but I do some of the best of my praying when I'm driving. The eyes open. I do some of the best of praying I have is with my eyes open, driving. Make sure the car's quiet. And I pray. The shield of faith, then, is living dependently. And we go on to the fifth piece of the armor, which is the helmet of salvation. Verse 17a. And take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Of course, it's very clear and obvious that in battle, in ancient battle, and even in more modern battle as well, soldiers wear helmets to protect their heads and to protect what's inside of their heads, their brains. And obviously, the head on the body of a soldier is a very common target in war. And so it is with us. Satan constantly wants to injure or to kill our minds. Did you hear what I said? Satan wants to injure your mind or to even kill your mind. So much of the Christian life is fought between your ears. Satan constantly wants to injure or to kill our minds. He wants us not to think Scripture. He wants us instead to think about his discouraging lies. He's a liar. When Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, they were already saved. And so when verse 17a says, and take the helmet of salvation, he wasn't calling them to be saved. He was doing something else. What was he doing? 
He was telling them to put on the helmet piece of God's armor in order to protect their thinking about what had already been given them in salvation. Namely, assurance and security. And back then and still today, Satan wants to mess with believers' minds. He wants us to believe half-truths, and then he wants us to believe blatant, flagrant, in-your-face lies. He wants to sow thoughts of doubt in your head. He wants to sow thoughts of discouragement in your head. He wants to sow thoughts of despair in your head. And so this is what he says to us as believers. Are you really saved? Would a true Christian think what you just thought? Maybe that sin, you know, is too much for God to forgive. Good Christians aren't perfect. Excuse me, they are perfect, and you sure aren't. Maybe, maybe the Bible isn't right. Maybe the Bible is just a collection of human fables, he says. Or, you've got to earn brownie points with God. Have you earned enough of them? And why not just give up? You know, maybe God doesn't love you. I mean, why is he allowing such bad stuff into your life? How saved do you feel? How tight are you hanging on to God? Are you hanging on to God tight enough? Can you maintain your feelings for Jesus well enough, long enough? And so it goes. And our minds, as believers, our minds need the protection of the helmet of salvation that we would assuredly know that the Bible says that he or she who believes on Christ shall be saved. And no one and no thing can snatch that believer out of the Father and out of Jesus' hands. We desperately need the helmet of salvation. We need our minds to be protected against thoughts that would cause us to lose the insurance of, assurance of our salvation. I've worked with believers who have lost assurance of salvation. They're saved, but they've lost assurance. And I use this illustration Do you not feel saved anymore? No, pastor, I don't feel saved anymore. I said, you know, I've been married to Beth for 35 years. And what what would happen if all of a sudden I just stopped talking to her? Eventually, I would feel like I'm not married. What if I just decided that I would no longer let Beth talk to me? Long enough, I would feel like I'm not married. What if I stopped telling Beth I love her? I would feel perhaps not married to Beth. What if I stopped wearing my wedding ring? See, I can't stop wearing it. (laughs) That's a good thing. It tells me I'm married and tells other women I'm married. What if I stopped wearing my wedding ring? Do that long enough, and I'm going to not feel married. But I am married. You may not feel like you're saved, but if you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you're saved. So start talking to him. 
Start letting him talk to you. Wear the wedding band of believer's baptism if you've never been baptized. What kind of a married person doesn't wear a wedding ring? What kind of a Christian has not asked for believer's baptism? And so we need the helmet of salvation because Satan messes with our minds and and God wants us to live with a surety, being assured of salvation. The sixth and the last piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We also call it the Bible. And we see this piece of armor in the second part of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This means, fathers, to live biblically. To live each day biblically. Each day seeing life through the lens of the Bible. How do you do that? Let me submit just three ways how to live biblically. Number one, each day get alone with God yourself, reading and thinking about the Bible and praying in light of the verses that you have read with the Lord, you and the Lord. Second, each day read the scriptures with your wives and with your kids who still live at home. You want to know how to live biblically? Be alone with God each day in his word and be with your wife in God's word and with your children who still live at home in God's word. Third, each day striving to obey what the Bible teaches. That's how you live biblically. Maybe you've noticed that all the pieces of armor that I've shared before this piece of armor were defensive. They protect the front of the soldier so that we can stand firm against the devil face to face. It's only the sword, the sword of the spirit, the Bible, which allows us to go on the offensive. We know from the Greek word used here that the sword in view in verse 17 was the medium-sized sword. It was about 6 to 18 inches long, that sword was. It was much bigger than a pocket knife dagger, and it was smaller than the executioner's sword. But it was a versatile sword. It was a very handy weapon, good both for the offensive and for the defensive. That's how the Word of God is. It is good for the offensive, and it is equally good for the defensive. Of course, our Lord Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, the Old Testament scriptures, to defend himself when Satan tempted him to command these stones to become bread and tempted him to throw yourself down from the heights of the temple and tempted him to fall down and worship the devil. And Jesus swang the sword of the Spirit against Satan's three temptations by quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy three times. Jesus said, It is written... That man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Defensive move, slash. Jesus went on. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Defensive mood, move, slash, slash. And then, be gone, Satan. For it is written that you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. Slash, slash, slash. The only weapon in the armor is the Word of God, the Bible. It must be enough. We can get a sense of just how strategic and powerful the Bible is by considering how hard Satan has tried over the centuries 
to discredit it and to destroy it. I'm told that in the former communist countries of Europe, the printing presses that formerly printed communist propaganda now print Bibles. Using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is, for us fathers, living biblically. And living biblically means having the Bible address Satan. Living biblically also means the Bible addressing worldliness. Living biblically means, certainly means that the Bible must address us. My biggest problem, I've told you, is me. And your biggest problem is you. We must let the Bible address our flesh and anything that doesn't look like Jesus. The Bible is the means by which the Spirit of God chisels away off of us whatever doesn't look like Jesus. So Father's Day, I believe, is a good time to remind us that there is a bullseye on every Christian father's chest to remind ourselves that Satan hates marriages and homes. He wants to discourage, defeat, and destroy fathers and their homes. Father's Day is a fine time to remind us that the Lord has provided armor to protect fathers so that they can stand firm and fulfill their roles all to God's glory. And yes, Father's Day is the right time to remind us that the armor of God, listen, the armor of God boils down to the choices we make on how we live. That's crucial. If you come away from this message on the armor of God and you say, oh, that was interesting or that was sort of interesting or whatever you might think, and that's where it stops. It was just a lecture. It was just a teaching time. It was just theory. No, 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 no. What this is saying is that the armor of God is put on every day by the actions we choose to do. Living truthfully living righteously or Christ-like, living evangelistically, living dependently or prayerfully, living assuredly, assured of our salvation, and living biblically. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. I know that you have other plans for the day, but let me wrap this up. Let me give you seven practical helps. You may be here and you said, you know, I've I've thought about the armor of God. It's been a long time. It was Sunday school when I last heard about the armor of God and what uh, the Bible is teaching me is calling me to action, calling me to change. Change how I live. Seven suggestions to follow through on that desire to change. Number one, write out the six pieces of the armor and the six ways that they call us to live each day. Just take the six pieces of armor and all that was said about the implications on living, put them on a, uh, in your phone or on a three-by-five card on the dashboard of your car or on the mirror where you shave or wherever you will look at it. Number two, we have a faithful men's ministry every Saturday morning at 6.30 in the morning. I'll tell you what, when I make the effort to go to that time, men, it is outstanding. The brothers in that group may not be many, but they are sold out for Jesus Christ. Saturday, 6.30 in the morning, faithful men. Hope to see you there. 
We have a men's retreat coming. You've been hearing the announcements. It's not too late to sign up for the men's retreat. That's a special time to get away from our responsibilities, to go and to be together, to pray together, to talk together, and to go over God's word together in ways that are helpful to being a man. Sign up. Number four, we have marriage and family events. We have some coming up in the near future. We who are fathers and husbands, let's not let our wives make the decision that we're going to go to a marriage and family event at Calvary Bible Church. Let's tell our wives, hey, how about we go? I think it would be good for our marriage. I think it would be good for our home. How about we lead the way, guys? Coming hopefully this fall will be something called the Men's Fraternity. It's a three-year discipleship course for men. When you hear announcement of that, I encourage you to sign up. Great material, the men's fraternity. Some of you may be here this morning, and if the truth be told, you're hurting. It's difficult. Every Father's Day is, is very hard for you because your dad was terrible. Let's be real. He took off on you. He knows you, you're alive, but you don't know where he is, and he wants it that way. It's hard to come to church on Father's Day when that's been what's happened to you, being abandoned, being rejected, abused. It may be the best way to put on the armor of God and to learn to live in these new ways would be to go across the parking lot and to make an appointment with our loving and biblical counselors. Nobody's ever turned away for lack of money. Then last, I have some fine books in my personal library about being a man, about being a father, husband. I'd be more than happy to loan some of those out to you who would have interest. And so to wrap up, uh, let's face something and be real. Um, Even as I've been preaching about the armor of God, the schemer's been firing flaming missiles at some of us. He's been saying, you haven't been wearing this armor for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years. You're going to start now? He's been firing flaming missiles. You haven't been wearing all of this. You haven't had it all on, so are you ever going to get it all on? Or you're a failure, you know. When you do put on the armor, lots of it falls off of you most days. Here's what to do, and this is closing. Start tomorrow morning. Don't procrastinate. Start tomorrow morning. Get up as early as you need to get up to have time to get ready for your day. Get out the door to make work on time. Get up early as you need to tomorrow morning. Go to this passage in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, and review it in your mind and ask the Lord to... uh, cause you to live in these ways so that you have the full armor of God on starting tomorrow. Deliberately put it on piece by piece. Let me have an example. If I've had a uh, disinterest in sharing my faith tomorrow morning when I'm talking to God and I come to the, uh, the shoes of the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace, this is how I should pray. Lord, uh, I haven't been very good at sharing my faith, but today, with your help, show me at least one person to share the gospel with this day. I want to be living evangelistically this day. Bing, the piece of armor's on your feet. 
And if you know what's going on in a day, you know you're facing a situation where you may be tempted to tell a half-truth, that in that time when you're putting on the armor of God, you can pray and say, Lord, I need the girdle of truth today when I go to court. I need the girdle of truth today when I have to explain bad job performance to my boss. Help me to tell the truth. Accept the promises of God's forgiveness. And if you live a day and part of your armor falls off, the prayer piece that's to extinguish the flaming missiles of the devil and you haven't prayed, you were in a situation you should have prayed and you either forgot to pray or you're too busy to pray, whatever it is, don't quit. Get down and pick up the shield of faith that you dropped and say, Lord, the rest of the day, I want to carry the shield of faith. I want to live in a constant attitude of prayer. Thanks for forgiving me. And then because the armor of God makes the point that we're in a battle, that the Christian life is a battle, it's not a walk in the park. Don't go AWOL. Men, don't go absent without leave. Don't run from the challenges God has given you. Remember, none of the armor for your back is covered. None of your back's not covered if you run. Don't go AWOL. If you feel you're going to go AWOL, pick up the phone to a brother you can trust in our assembly and say, hey, man, I'm really struggling. I feel like going AWOL. This armor thing, I don't know. I did it for three days, and I'm not doing very well. Can we pray? Can I get a coffee, a Coke with you? Get back in the battle. This message is a tremendous challenge to me because I need the armor of God every day just like all of you do. So having heard the truth about it, let's put it into practice. And this armor isn't just for fathers, it's for every believer. Lord, we thank you for the armor of God that gives us protection and ability to stand against the wiles and schemes of the evil one. We thank you, Lord, that it protects us to stand the ground won by Christ. Help us to live in the ways that this passage calls us to live. We confess that none of us can live this way, these ways, except the Spirit of God fills and controls us, empowers us, and helps us. Lord, if we have tried to wear the armor of God in the past and have fallen off of us, help us to pick it back up and put it back on starting tomorrow morning. May we be an armored company of believer soldiers that is called Calvary Bible Church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Father's Day, man.